Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, podcast? It's Corey from Best Served. This podcast is a clubhouse recording titled First Time Riders Clubhouse 86-86-86 Challenge. In the 86-86-86 Challenge, Best Served paid hospitality industry professionals $86 for their stories. Hear from first-time riders on their struggle with imposter syndrome, how they found the story within them, and how we are adding more voices to the culinary narrative. Hope you enjoy! Hello, hello! Welcome to the 86-86 Challenge uh, I'm missing a six. First time food writers clubhouse room. Um, we are recording this room. This room will w- run for an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. It is going to be posted on our anchor page on best serve podcast anchor page, where you can then get it from Spotify and, uh, all the other places you get podcasts. Uh, it's going to be posted on Thursday at noon Eastern time. Uh, we want to thank Jesse and the Food Blog School for hosting us. Um, at the bottom right-hand side of your screen, there is a plus sign. Please ping people into the room. Um, your friends, your enemies, your best friends, anybody you know. We would love to get uh, people these tips because I think telling your story is applicable to everyone. So we will also open hand raising at the end. And back to you, Jensen. Thank you, Sophie. Great job on your first room set. Way to rock. A lot of first times here that we're going to be talking through. So, yeah, this room is, a, is the culmination of maybe eight, nine months of work that's happened uh, from the Best Serve team. And it really started with, uh, with Sophie saying, I want to do more blog. We were doing so much audio and video. I want to do more blogs. I want to see more articles. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how this came about. So I'll kind of uh, introduce the concept of the 8686 Challenge. You're going to hear excerpts from the writers who this is the first time that they were published. Uh, We're going to talk through the challenges that they faced, that we faced to bring these stories to life. We're going to give you some tips that we learned through this process on, on what it takes to bring food stories uh, to markets and uh, a little bit about uh, keyword writing, just a little tease on keyword writing, something that we've been really working on that especially for people in the hospitality industry is, uh, is going to be an incredibly valuable process as many of us are not writers, yet we have a story to tell and the way that our brains really work is kind of captured in keyword writing. So that's what uh, you can expect from this conversation over the next hour. I want to start this like I always like to start, a little bit, a little quote, something to kind of set the tone for the conversation that we're going to be having. And this was a story that actually got published today. So at the top there, you can see a link and you can check out all the articles from the uh, 86 Challenge there. Go directly to that blog site. And this is from uh, Laura Smedley, who said, Individuals from varying backgrounds, with their thread of commonality being food, 
came together and held the space for everyone to be heard. What if we do that more in life? What if we listened not to provide an answer or solution, but rather just to let someone else be seen and their experience validated? Could not have imagined uh, a better quote and timing as Sophie shared that with me yesterday as she was finishing up uh, getting Laura's article published. And that is the embodiment of what we were trying to create with this 86, 86, 86 challenge, where we were trying to publish 86 articles in 86 days, paying a writer $86 for their words. And that was meaningful for a lot of reasons. $86 is actually more than many professional writers who are writing for, you know, smaller publications are getting paid for being professional writers. I hear so many of my friends who are in that space getting paid 50 or $75 to pump out another listicle. And we wanted to shift the narrative around the value that stories have within the food sphere. And moreover, the physical and emotional labor that we so often undervalue in the hospitality industry, we wanted to put that on a pedestal. And when we say writers for this, uh, this series, we have line cooks and servers, bartenders. We have a whole myriad of people who are living the life and have such meaningful stories to tell and have never been told that their story matters, that somebody wants to hear it, that they're willing to publish it and to pay them for it. And dozens and dozens of the writers of this challenge, this is the first ever time that they had written, and you're going to hear from some of those voices today. For the vast majority, it was the first time that they had been written and published, and, uh, and most everybody was the first time they had ever been paid for an article. So it was very much a shift in the approach of media. So we're really honored and excited to be able to host that. Tons of challenges to that. Three, three parts to understand of the challenge that we are trying to learn about. Number one is, could we create a process in which we are able to bring stories to life? The way we t intake the articles, the way that we have editors edit the articles to stay true to their, their story and not be rigid like AP's style, yet still make sure that, that they felt like their story uh, was properly put on paper. We needed to figure out how we could scale that into a publishing process. We also need to figure out how to monetize it so that uh, sponsors would pay $110 for each article and then be able to take $86 of that directly to the writer $6 of that uh, went to our nonprofit partner in the weeds who was writing checks every week directly to these individuals. And then the remainder went uh, to the cost and didn't even cover the cost, but to the cost uh, to produce and host these, uh, these articles. So it's a very transparent process for the financials. And the last and absolutely most challenging part of this was to convince people across the hospitality, across the food world that, again, their stories mattered, that we wanted to hear them, that we wanted to publish them, and that we wanted to pay them. And most of my role in this was to speak with and interact with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and get them to understand that what you say, it matters, and people need to be hearing it. And so many people went through imposter syndrome. They're like, I don't know, I'm not a writer, I don't know if my story matters, I don't know if anybody's going to care. And I had to spend a lot of time convincing them that in fact that did. And uh, it was a huge challenge. 
and so many people I could I could tell that they were dragging their feet. They wanted to, but they didn't want to. So it was a lot of uh, of trying to understand that we can shift the narrative. We can add more voices to the colonial narrative. So that was the biggest challenge of all, actually. And I could see people that we'd set a deadline, and I know that they were sitting there racking their brain, trying to write, trying to write, trying to co- finally coming up with excuses why they couldn't, giving up. I don't know how many drafts of articles are out there that never saw the light of day because they never got shared with us. And then the, the uh, deadline would come the very next day. People were like, oh, I'm so sorry. I really wish I could have got this story out there. I was working on it so hard. I'm so sad I missed the deadline. And of course, I was like, you know what? We would love to extend the deadline for you. And I just, even, even on Facebook Messenger or Instagram or text or email, I could, I could tell they were going, oh, shit. He totally called my bluff. And uh, now I need to bring this story to life. So that's what we're going to be really talking about. I want anybody in the food world, anybody who's working in a restaurant or a ghost kitchen or a banquet hall or in a catering company to listen to this and feel like I can do it. I'm going to write my first story ever and I'm going to share it with the world. And we're here for that. So that is the 86 challenge. I want to uh, have Sophie real quick introduce our uh, our panel here of uh, Katie, Abby, Jasmine, Letitia, and Katie, and uh, and then we're going to hear excerpts from each of the writers from their stories, touch on those a little bit, and then talk about this process and again how we can bring that value to anybody, anybody, a dishwasher in Tampa, Florida who is the, the life of the party, the person who everyone loves working with, I want you to write an article after hearing this. That's the big, hairy, audacious goal we have from our time here together today. Sophie, you want to go ahead and introduce everybody? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I'm going to skip over Corey because he's doing some tech shenanigans, um, but we appreciate you being here, Corey. Um, Abby Miller is Hi. Hi. She's a CIA graduate um, with a bachelor's degree in business management and a minor in Asian studies. She's currently in Park City, Utah, working as a line cook. I think this was from your bio earlier, so I'm not sure if you're still at the same place. Yep. Um, Cool. And she wrote an article called The Kitchen, A Hell Away From Hell. Our other, our next panelist is uh, Katie O'Hara, who is a, she is joining our team actually somewhat on the path to join our team um and she is a uh freelance writer she worked in the restaurant industry for roughly 10 years she's done it all um from busing to serving to pastry prep um as we learned in our last video cast she loves volatile situations which is children restaurants and writing uh and she wrote an article called cultivating and growing your team why having kick-ass leadership benefits everyone she was also an editor for the 86 challenge. Uh, our next panelist is uh, Jasmine Parks Papp. Uh, she is a former Colorado Springs executive chef turned life coach after the pandemic, um, after pandemic burnout. Um, she is aiming to improve wellness in the culinary world one person at a time. She wrote an article called uh, Dear Sue Chef Who Could Read My Anxiety Tales, which we have talked quite a bit about and was shouted out on several of the video casts, by the way, Jasmine. Um, and our next panelist is Letitia Steele. Letitia is the operations officer and chef for So All May Eat, same cafe. 
Um, congratulations, by the way, on your anniversary that just came up. Um, she also serves as the co-chair for the Denver Sustainable Food Policy Council, um, whose mission is to influence policy that fosters food security for all community members. At the age of 15, she began her culinary career in the Appalachian Mountains of Virginia. Her passion lies in food justice, community outreach, racial equality, and ensuring that healthy food is accessible to everyone, regardless of their socioeconomic status. She wrote an article called Waste Not, Want Not. And our last uh, panelist is Katie Fisco. Uh, Katie, I always feel like I have a connection to you because I'm from, I was from Colorado Springs and you're in Colorado Springs, even though Jasmine is also in Colorado Springs, but I always feel like I had a connection with you. Um, she is a Benet and an American chef, a military spouse, foster adoptive mom of three living in Colorado Springs. And her article is um, Nene's Malonghe, and I apologize if I said it wrong. I looked it up on Google, and that's the way Google said to pronounce it. Back to you, Jensen. Thank you, thank you, Sophie. Appreciate that. All right, uh, want to get right into these uh, into these stories. Sophie mentioned the names of of each of these articles. Just again, if you, you take a look at the blog, just a really diverse group of of, uh, of articles that we were able to to bring out there, and I was just so impressed you know we were very nervous about you know the skill level let's say of the writers that were contributing potentially to this and and there were definitely some articles that needed more love and finessing and and shout out to katie o'hara uh to zoe shack to camille shoemaker nicole vargas uh and sarah carpenter all of which sophie as well all of which contributed to uh editing articles and interacting with the writers and getting them all published and it uh it's it was so refreshing to see how many stories just were just jumping off the page and uh and we were like i'd ask a lot of people you, you sure you've never written before uh because there's just so much in there and so much depth to the story that uh even if there was some grammar and structure and punctuation things to that needed some editing it really was a was a pleasure to see these articles and also big shout out to some of the sponsors that actually bought into this wild idea that said yeah this is not you know our audience they're not decision makers and buyers at, at restaurants or at hotels that are going to you know be the ones that spend money and we're going to have sales directly from this they really believed in kind of investing in the people that make up millions and millions of of jobs within this hospitality industry so you know society insurance really stepped up weldworks brewing really stepped up uh chef life radio adam lamb uh, was a great force there uh, the navajo technical institute also helped sponsor some articles western paper so just like really great crew that just believed in something very different so excited about that all right uh katie katie o'hara want to uh, uh to start with you uh, since you were on the inside of this, and uh, please tell us again the uh, the title of your article, and go ahead and read us uh, uh, that quick if excerpt. Yeah, um, hi everyone. I am Katie O'Hara. Um, the title of my article for the eighty six eighty six eighty six challenge was "Cultivating and Growing Your Team: Why Having Kick Ass Leadership Benefits Everyone." Um, the excerpt that I will read is. 
the new guy played a solid trick on me. He came in and completely flipped the script and did so in such a way that not only did I not even notice it was happening, thereby preventing me from pro protesting it entirely, but he also somehow managed to make me level up at the same damn time. I was now a completely different hostess, one with far less attitude, and member of the team. I was no longer interested in a job just to pass time. I was committed to this industry and I wanted to devour as much information as I could. I gave a shit about him and about the team. I wanted to learn everything I could from him. I wanted to know how I could be better and what I could do and what more I could do. I'm just like grinning the whole time I'm listening to this. And so for everybody who's here on Clubhouse, and if you're listening to the recording of this on the podcast, get your ass over to Clubhouse and make sure that you interact with these conversations live. Uh, Andrew Parr, who's in the <laughs> audience right now, who is uh, our leader at Best Served, our, our chief how officer, the herald of how, figures out all these wild ideas like 86, 86, 86 challenge, how to actually bring them to life is who you're speaking about in this article. You two work together, and uh, he was yes. the new guy who came in as GM and uh, had to whip this restaurant into shape, but do it with empathy and compassion, like Andrew always leads. He's very blue in his color code personality archetype. And, and reading this, I, I knew right away who it was when I was reading this, and so I was very excited, and I'm so glad that we got to, to talk about that for a moment and have you read that. Why is leadership important? We see the struggles and the successes now, maybe more than ever through this pandemic, is leaders are really, really emerging in this moment and lack of leadership is really showing its vulnerability. Why was it important for you to write about, about leadership? Um, it, I think it's important because it's a trickle down effect, first of all. And I think, you know, working with PAR, I got to see firsthand how important it is to have a good leader. Um, so simultaneously, when I was working with Andrew, I was also bartending at this dive bar. I was kind of doing beer tub. I don't know exactly what it was, but that manager would sit in his office the entire night, wouldn't do shit, would bark orders. He had no idea what was ever going on. And inevitably every, so I only worked there Fridays and Saturday nights. Every freaking Saturday at 2 a.m., he would get pissed at me about something and then fire me. And then every Thursday, the following Thursday, he would send me a text and be like, hey, so I'll see you tomorrow, right? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, obviously. So I got to see like the extreme juxtaposition of like somebody who just literally didn't give a shit and was there to make money, sling beers and whatever versus Andrew, who was so actively involved and invested. And I think that another thing that, you know, I really learned by working with Andrew was seeing that real leaders like lead by example, like he wasn't sitting in the back, just telling everybody what to do. He was showing people what to do. And I think, I just think that that's so important from you know, somebody who's not on like leadership level, like when you see somebody who's your boss in the trenches with you, it, it builds a greater sense of camaraderie. Like, you know, that they respect you and what you're doing too. Um, and I think that just having positive leadership, it literally elevates the entire community um, that is that specific restaurant. And then therefore, or thereby rather, you're elevating all the communities around you too. Cause people are like, wait, I want to go dine there. I want to be friends with these people. 
I want to work there. Like, this seems like a cool place. So it's just, a, it's a trickle down effect. And I think it's amazing and very important. Love, 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 love. We need more of it. Uh, and also I would have loved the story of the other boss as well. And I think that's part of this. We saw we're going to have some stories that we're going to even hear today that are uplifting, some that are, are deeply devastating, some that are emotional and personal. And that's the point of this. It is the human experience. And uh, you can write about anything. Write about the first time you ever had your grandma's goulash. I don't know why I said goulash, whatever. Somebody's grandma made goulash for them. The first time that you ever went to your favorite restaurant for a birthday, the best boss, the worst boss, your favorite ever coworker, anything can be turned into a story that somebody else can resonate with, that they can, that they can learn from. So really, really think that the, the stories that are in front of you they're meaningful. They matter. You're going to hear me say that a lot, a lot, a lot. All right. Uh, Wait, Jensen, can please. I say one more? Can I say one more thing really quick? Of course. Um, before, like in preparation for today, I went in and I reread everyone's stories that were participating on the panel. I just cried for like an hour. I seriously cried in every single person's article and I related to somebody in some way that pulled it an extremely different part of my life. So just on your, like what you were saying, everybody's story matters. Like it's so freaking true. Like I just related to five different people's stories and I was moved to tears. So <laughs> just everyone's story matters. So That's thank you it. guys. That's exactly right. And then even just in the audience, seeing Steven Swiderski wrote a story about balance and barbecue. Uh, Heather who's here wrote a story about, balance as well, kind of self-care while at work. So even here joining us are other voices that have contributed. So again, please go check out that link and read through these articles. They will uh, take you on an emotional roller coaster. And, uh, and that's the point. That's the human experience, especially in food, beverage, and hospitality. All right, Abby, let's have you uh, jump in. Somebody who's been uh, great and contributing with, uh, with Best Serve now for a little bit, especially here on Clubhouse the article that you wrote again, tell us the title of that and then go ahead and read your excerpt. Hi everyone. Uh, my name's Abby and the title of my article for the 86, 86, 86 challenge was the kitchen, a hell away from hell. And the excerpt I'll be reading is, um, I pushed my way through school because I knew my lion's roar was meant to be heard. I knew there was someone more than average looking back at me in the mirror day in and day out. And yet each day there is always something more to improve on. Mental health is not brought up enough, especially those that serve people daily and yet can barely manage to uphold their own with minimal pay and no recognition. It's health, but in the best way possible. As a chef, I cook not to get recognition. I cook because at the end of the day, there's nothing that makes me feel more alive. That, that polarization is so the duality of, of humanity, isn't it? Like so often the joy and the pain, the thing we love so much is in equal measure, the thing that brings us so much agony. So, uh, you know, I'm interested for, from your perspective, like why was this the story that you wanted to write? Why was this the thing that pulled most at you when you said, I, I need to tell a meaningful story or something that's really personal to me in this moment? Um, for me, actually, it was right when you had reached out to me about, um, the 86 challenge. Yeah, I was 
moving. I had just picked up my entire life. Everything like I owned was packed up into my car and I was moving to Utah to kind of start fresh and, you know, get back into the kitchen to do what I love. And, you know, being in the kitchen, it brings up the whole idea of mental health, which is something, you know, I deal with every day. And I just like, I knew it was the right time because, you know, this is like what I want to do and I, I just like want to get going and get started and when you had reached out to me to write you know like something meaningful and like how I connect to the kitchen and what I deal with I was like yes like I like there's something I want to get out and something I know that like a lot of people can probably relate to and I just I knew mental health is you know something that a lot of people can be scared to speak up about but in my mind I've I've become so humble towards it because it's something that everyone goes to and yeah, it's just definitely what I was pulled towards and wanted to write about. And I'm really happy I got it out there. So are we. And, and again, if you're listening on the podcast recording, this is why you need to come over to Clubhouse to be part of these conversations. Abby and I got to interact in a room that we did leading up to the, uh, the Roadrunner movie, Anthony Bourdain's movie. And we had a room uh, where we were talking about the Anthony Bourdain, the impact as a whole on the industry, James Beard Foundation, Colonial Institute of America. Abby uh, was one of the students that had received Anthony Bourdain's namesake scholarship. That's Eric Repair, uh, Jose Andres, uh, a couple of the forces behind that. And Abby had to write an essay to be able to, to qualify for that. And I said, oh, you're into, you're into writing. You have something meaningful to say. Let's, again, your story matters. Let's, let's see what else you want to write about. And it turns out that, you know, Abby wants to get into more food writing. So this is why you get to be a part of these conversations because now that opportunity is real. Now Abby is a published and paid author. And that's what happens when you put yourself out there, when you get yourself connected and build relationships in any and all mediums that are available to you. So, Abby, thank you for that. Uh, Katie, Katie Fisco, let's, uh, I love this. My favorite stories are always ones centered around grandmothers and especially anything having to do with Moringa. So you brought both of those elements, loved your story. Go ahead and tell us the title of your article and uh, read your excerpt. Yes, hi. Um, yes, yeah, so my name's Katie Fisco. My article's title is Nanais Molongai. <clears throat> Um, so much of my cooking is tangled up in that garden and in the aromas that would dance out of my mother's kitchen. Sour sampalok, smoky and salty tuyo, suman wound snugly into banana leaves, rich and sweet coconut milk mingling with crab fat. Though comforting to me, I knew these flavors were foreign to others. One distinct memory I have is hearing snickering around me when I opened my lunchbox to unleash stewed mungo beans. I got better at hiding this part of me when I got into high school. I let go of these comforts when I entered culinary school. Like most students, I focused on French and European cuisines. I was learning a new language and replacing my mother tongue. It took some time to shake the shame of enjoying the food of my childhood. Yeah, another reason your article spoke to me so deeply was that having Japanese heritage, I remember trying to push that aside, having weird, stinky, fermented foods in the fridge that not other kids had pots of rice with, you know, with soy sauce and pickled ginger and the, these ingredients that a lot of other people, now it's cool, but when we, I was growing up, it wasn't cool to be 
to be Japanese per se. And so, especially when I got into culinary school, so I just really, really connected with that. Uh, You're now trying to be an absolute champion. I've learned a lot from you about (laughs) even the variants within the Filipino culture of, of food style. So what does it mean for you to be able to kind of now be able to put those foods, those smells, those sour intensities, those those aromas uh, on a pedestal and put them out in the forefront. What's that mean to you now? Um, It's very different, I think, even within the Filipino community. My husband and I are becoming more involved with our Filiam community here in Colorado Springs. And um, there's even barriers in between those people groups. And so I think it's surprising sometimes to see those barriers fall down when people try each other's food, you know, adobo made five different ways and um, people enjoying it all across the board and um, not giving each other stink eye or gossiping (laughs) at each other, which is common. Um, So for me, you know, within our community, it's really great to have people feel more united and um, more friendly to one another. And then also just opening the eyes of more um, of those outside the culture. Um, I think people are getting more and more used to funky smells <laughs> and things that look weird. I mean, people drink kombucha regularly now, so um, other fermented things aren't so weird. Um, I don't know. It's just really exciting to 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 introduce it to others. And then all of a sudden it becomes something that they have in their home regularly um, and that they're excited to share with new people. Yeah, and sharing it with new people, that is such a thing that is in the heart of so many people in the, in the food world. It's, it's we, we discovered something. Maybe it was through travel, maybe it was through education, on the job, in ourselves. And we're just so desperate to share that with others. And we do that through the food, yet it's always the story behind that food that's mm-hmm. meaningful to us. The better we get at communicating that part... It's going to change the whole narrative around food, especially as foods have become commoditized, as somebody else has a better dish, more money, a better location, whatever it might be, that they don't have your story. And that's what's going to differentiate and create value in that community. And so you definitely are laying a really strong groundwork there, especially when we're talking about Asian cuisines as so many of them are expected to be cheap and it's time to value them on that same level as French or Italian. I think of dumplings versus Italian pasta. Somebody pay $35 for a pasta dish and they want a dumpling for $2 and a nickel. So like it's shifting the narrative and it's going to be those stories. So Katie, thank you so much for uh, being a champion for that. It really matters truly. Uh, All right, Jasmine, go ahead and jump in here. Tell us the title of your article and uh, read your excerpt. Hi, um, my article is titled, Dear Sous Chef Who Could Read My Anxiety Tells. Now that I've made it to the other side, here's my apology to you, Sous Chef. I was not ready to be a conscious encourager of words and healthy habits. I was not equipped to take a stand and model our conversations for the rest of the staff. I was not empowered enough to implement safe mental health practices in our kitchen. I was not educated enough to know that there are resources out there for people just like you and me. I didn't understand that there is no shame and there is no blame and our voices should never be lowered. I'm a better advocate for both of us now. Uh, I can't even uh, imagine what it felt like to have that level of support. I think there's this tough guy, tough gal mentality in the, in the industry where, you know, we talk about leave your shit at the door, smile, it's part of your uniform. You're only as good as your next plate. 
these tropes that we perpetuate, and Abby mentioned it, the mental health strain on that is so intense. And so to be able to have that, uh, that level of support, you know, what, what, what does that mean? Why, why was this something you were willing to share? Because it was deeply personal, and I'm so grateful to, to have read it. Thank you. And um, thank you above all for giving me the, the platform to, to share it. Um, in my years since leaving the culinary world behind, um, I'm, I now have the language to admit that I was probably part of a very toxic work environment and not just in participating, but also propagating the stereotypes um, in the culinary world. And so after I left the culinary world behind, I kind of made myself a personal promise to make amends um, and to really work on my mental health. And I took some time, went to therapy, and then I discovered Chow, which is um, in a community based in Denver, um, very uh, centered around mental health, wellness, and recovery. And through them, I started to share a lot of the things that were holding big pockets of shame in my life. And by being active in that community, I was able to take an honest and curious inventory of the way that I had acted, which afforded me the possibility then to not only look at my actions, but to look at the people that I had affected. And the question I've gotten most often about this article, is the sous chef real? The sous chef is absolutely real. Seth, if you're listening, uh, I'm sorry. Thank you. I love you. Um, and so this was my apology. So powerful. Uh, and uh, I definitely have been through the same of, of needing to make a man's help. The best served was started as, in part, a way to atone for having been that chef at moments because I didn't realize my responsibility as a leader was to uplift the people around me and not to take them for granted. So a lot of respect for getting that out. And this is why you build community. Chow, Culinary Hospitality Outreach and Wellness, is what Chow stands for, founded by John Hinman uh, and run by Aaron Boyle, who also recently wrote an article. The article that I quoted at the beginning, Laura Smedley, also somebody heavily involved with Chow. So it's really important to have those communities built around you. And there's some great organizations like Chow that are in, in place to be able to support the, uh, the mental health, the community outreach, the uh, individual strain that's, that is putting all of yourself on the plate, so to speak. So thank you for that. Tisha, I want to come to you now and uh, have you give us the title of your article and, and read a little excerpt. Let's just go ahead and unmute your microphone. Oh, I'm pretty sure she tried to unmute her microphone and just uh, jumped right off the screen here. All right, we'll come back to Letitia as soon as she figures out the, uh, the robots. Uh, I want to talk next about the challenges. Many, many, many challenges uh, on the best serve side, on the editing side, on the getting your story onto paper side that I want to just touch on. And uh, Sophie, she's in the audience. Hold on. Oh. Yeah, she's in the audience. Can you get her out? Uh-huh. Let's, let's make the... Here we go. All right, so we got you back. Uh, we, we, uh, we appreciate, we see the little, uh, I don't know, what it, what is that, celebration cone or something? <laughs> means this is the very first time you've been on Clubhouse. So thank you for taking another leap uh, of faith <laughs> in us and trusting us enough to not just publish your story, 
also to get you onto Clubhouse, uh, something that can be very foreign <laughs> when you're used to being in the kitchen. So uh, go ahead and tell us the title of your article and, uh, and read your excerpt. Thanks so much, Jensen. My name is Letitia Steele. I use she, her pronouns. The title of my article is Waste Not, Want Not. And here's the excerpt from it. I lived the life of a stereotypical person born in this area. I played in the creek, lived in a trailer, and some of our neighbors still had outhouses. Money was tight, and after my parents divorced, my mom took a management job with a local retailer. Nanny, my great-grandma, became my main caretaker. She raised me with the saying, waste not, want not. We never threw out food, and when the cabinets were empty, we made do with what we had. A favorite memory of mine is when we had no bread and she made me a sandwich by using pancakes topped with tomatoes from the garden and mayonnaise. Uh, I can't even. With, with, the, with the ingenuity to pancakes to make the sandwich, uh, I appreciate you sharing that because it very much is, is humbling in the, the economic status that you're kind of displaying in this. And also shows why you were so compelled to feed people. I'm also, I was also very curious when I wrote that. Did you know that having a pancake sandwich was odd and a byproduct of not having the bread? Or did it feel like that there was this chefy creativity that was coming to the forefront? I'm super fascinated in it. I thought it was so cool. Like, I honestly didn't realize that my family was... Uh considered poor until I was, um, in middle school. Uh, and yeah, I just thought it was so awesome that my nanny whipped up some pancake batter and threw some tomato on it. I thought it was the coolest thing. Yeah. I very much felt that when I was, when I was reading that, uh, I, I remember total tangent, but I, I felt like it connected that, uh, the pursuit of happiness movie that Will Smith did, uh, and, uh, I remember an interview after that movie with the son when they actually slept in the bathroom of a subway as he was trying to make through this internship. Anyway, the kid had no idea that they were completely homeless and moments away from having absolutely nothing. He thought he was on this amazing adventure with his father and they were, they were going around the city being able to experience it. I felt that re- reading your article. It's like, it feels magical. And sometimes food feels so fucking magical. And we forget that sometimes when we're all about, again, that next plate, next plate. So, Tish, I really appreciate you sharing that and, uh, and the humility to be able to like recognize where you came from. A lot of times we're trying to rewrite our own history, especially when we're you know working in fancy restaurants and high-end restaurants like I know you have. So thank you so much for that. All right. I just wanted to everyone understood how compelling the stories have been that we've been able to, to read through this. So once again, please follow all of these amazing writers and so many more. These writers here were able to bring their story to life for the first time. Truly grateful and honored to be able to be a part of that. Challenges. Again, I want to talk about the challenges of this. So many challenges that go into something like this. This is why we called it the 86, 86, 86 challenge. It was challenging us and each other to think differently about the way that we bring stories and culinary narrative to the forefront. Sophie, I want to start with you. You, again, were, were the catalyst for this starting. Uh, Sophie now has learned, don't throw wild ideas out into the air. We might actually try and pull them off. And so, Sophie, you have been the leader of this whole program, and uh, I've seen so many of the challenges. What do we need to know 
at a high level when it comes to bringing stories into publication? Uh, yes, you are correct. When I mentioned that I wanted a couple more blog posts, it was like back last November when we had two. And then you came up with the idea of a hundred and I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's too many. And then we settled on 86 and I was like, okay, this'll, maybe this'll happen. It might work out. I mean, I've seen some crazy stuff work out under Jensen. So I think we figured out that the hardest thing was getting people to believe they have the self-worth to tell their stories and to not just get paid, but to put them out there into the world in a medium that they might not be comfortable with. I remember when I was in uh, culinary school, I used to help some of my friends with their essays because they just really didn't like writing at all. And, um, and I understood that because everybody has a medium that they like to work with best. And for food people, ironically, it's food. Um, but as Jensen has said in the past, everyone is a storyteller. And the thing with hospitality people is they just choose food and beverage as the medium to tell their stories through. So we knew that people could tell their stories. It was just getting them to the place where they could believe it and take that first action of writing down like the first sentence, the first word. I think people just got so nervous in their head. And as the challenge went on, we saw so many amazing um, articles come out and it just started being maybe a bit too much pressure as we started asking more people later in the challenge. Um, I don't know if you want to share, Jensen, how the challenge ended up uh, ending, but um, we did have a lot of challenges near the end getting people to submit things. Yeah, we didn't. We, we fell short of 86 articles. That's that's basically the punchline there. And that's something that I'm like so grateful for. It was incredibly frustrating seeing so many people on the precipice of being able to write their story that would send me a note. I'm thinking about writing about this. It's like, yes, please do. And then the so many life got in the way, the excuses got in the way, that imposter syndrome got in the way. And so it was important for us, though, to do it at this scale, at this speed, with this amount of, of moving parts to it, because we learned so, so much, again, about how to, how to have sponsors be able to support it financially, how to edit and publish, how to get people to, to write their stories. And it's, and it's fascinating. This never happens. There was more money than there were writers. And that to me was very interesting. So we have a lot of work to do and, and you'll see a lot more articles and Katie and Sophie will be, will be bringing a lot more articles. No, none of the intensity of an article a day for three months, don't worry, but we will still have uh, uh, articles coming out and uh, we're gonna have lots more 86ers as I like to call them. They're getting paid $86 for their words. 86, anybody who doesn't know, you 86 an item on your menu, it means it's no longer available, usually has a negative connotation. We're taking that word, owning it, and spinning it. That's where that uh, title of the, uh, the challenge came through. Katie, uh, Katie O'Hara, I want to come to you as somebody who was able to edit uh, you know, a couple dozen articles. And, uh, and Letitia's article specifically was one that was under your purview. So I'm very interested, very specifically, Letitia's article uh, for you personally, and then very much want to get some tips in there. 
anything that you saw that you want to say this, this is the nucleus. And if, if, if this was to go from being say 300 word article to a thousand words, here's how you would, you would scale that anything that, that would bring value to somebody who's sitting there going, I need to start writing my story. Yeah. Um, so Letitia's article was, I think one of the first ones that I edited, um, and as I've said this a few times, but when I first got asked to be an editor, I thought this was going to be a lot bigger of a job than it was. And I thought, I just thought there was going to be a lot of work. Um, I've been editing friends. Like Sophie said, I've been editing stuff for friends, my niece who's in college, and I've basically had to rewrite a lot of stuff. So I was kind of anticipating that. And I didn't have to do that once. Um, which was amazing. And I was so happy about that. But yeah, when I went in, Letitia, um, like I just, I related to so much in your article. It was so beautifully written. And I don't know if you even noticed that you did this, but you had such a beautiful character arc where you started, you know, you said that you grew up in like a poor rural area and then you moved and you left and you tried to leave that part of you behind and you were in fine dining places. And now where you're at, you're you're not necessarily finding yourself again in a poor rural area but you're working with people and making food like healthy food choices accessible for people who are um you know not in a higher socioeconomic level um so i just thought like for your article specifically i don't know if you noticed that but that character arc was beautiful um and that's what happens when you're just writing from the soul and, and talking about an experience you have, you're going to convey these parts of like storytelling that are like the crux and principles of storytelling that you didn't even know were there because you're just telling your, your specific human experience. Um, so that was really cool. Again, you know, when I went in all the articles that I edited, I basically just threw in a few extra commas, maybe rearranged a few sentences. Um, I, I did very little work. <laughs> it was amazing. So I basically was just reading all these articles and, and helping get the words out there. Um, Jensen, I already forgot the other part of the question, which I tend to do. <laughs> it's, it's good. I'll come back to you on this because I want to come to Letitia here. And, and uh, for sure, shout out to Sophie and, and the system that we built, the process that we built to streamline all of this, to be able to make this something that you could be able to bring in an article and turn around an article in 30, 40 minutes. That's what we were trying to learn, the scalability of this. And so, Letitia, did you, did you know that you're a professional writer who understands character arc and was able to bring that to the forefront? Or was it just, just the luck of looking back and telling your story? Did you know that you were doing that? Or was it completely by chance? Letitia, go ahead and unmute your microphone. Thanks for that reminder. Um, life in Zoom, it seems like we would all have that down by now. Um, I did not think that I was a great writer. It's something uh, telling my stories. Uh, there's something that I've always uh, shied away from. Uh, it's growing up where I grew up in uh, such a rural region between West Virginia and Virginia. Um, you know, you go through a lot of trauma and you see a lot of other folks going through trauma and a lot of it's related to um, levels of poverty and how other folks around the country see you and engage with you. 
so yeah, that was just me being me. And I, wow, I'm kind of like blown away by the feedback. Um, I did want to give y'all a quick update. I was going to put it in chat, but I did step down from my role at Same Cafe back in September. We have uh, Chef Carrie Shores there now that is taking over day-to-day -day operations. Um, I really wanted to focus on food policy as it relates to health equity and food access. So all of my attention has been poured into advocating for rights to gain access to food and housing that a lot of folks don't have that ability to do for themselves. I really wanna take the opportunities I've been given to uh, shine a light on a lot of the inequities that are out there. Well, Alicia, then I know what the next <laughs> article you're gonna write about is for 2022. So I, I can't wait, <laughs> wait to read that and the, the character arc that you will develop in that story as just a pure storyteller, as, as Katie put it. So thank you for that. Uh, Katie Fisco, Abby Jasmine, anything from the three of you, please just go ahead and unmute and, and jump in. Uh, I'd love to hear any challenges you maybe faced, any, any process things, anything that helps us understand what it took for you to actually put pen to paper. Hell, did you put pen to paper? Did you type it up? I think just these little the idiosyncrasies of what it took for you to get your story out there. Somebody's going to listen to that one mundane detail like wait i can do that or wait that's the way that i operate i'd love to hear from any of you please jump in um i can share i um it was difficult for me to come up with a subject to write about at first um i suffer i don't want to say suffer <laughs> yeah it was, i have gone through as many people have been in the industry it kind of beats you up and spits you out sometimes and recently just went through something really difficult and i was like i can write about this thing or i can write about something positive and so i just thought about it for a while and just visited my mom so i felt that that was more poignant and important to share um, and then once that hit then I, it flowed pretty easily from there i just typed it up in two hours oh i love hearing that uh, we're going to hear more of this when I talk about keyword writing a little bit. We talk about name the document. Sometimes the hardest part is just naming the document. You name that thing, and then all of a sudden it starts to take shape, and it's less scary. And Sometimes I'll title it and then walk away from it for a day, two days, a week, and then come back to it. But I started. Like, it's there. I can start to build upon it. So I think that's interesting. Abby, Jasmine, anything for you that uh, process-wise that uh, we could learn a little bit for you bringing your first story out there? Um, I, yeah, actually, I think it was the idea of taking something that you felt like you had such a powerful voice for, or that you wanted so many people to hear about or relate to, and then condensing it to, you know, 500 words, um, and trying to, you know, pick and choose, you know, like the parts that you wanted to tell and, and the parts that you had to leave out. And I found that for me to be at least one of the more difficult parts of the process because I was, you know, stumbled very many, many times when I was writing because I was like, you know, putting parts back in, pulling parts back out. And I was like, God, I don't know which to, you know, include, but overall it all worked out and I'm extremely thankful for it. Appreciate that. Jasmine, for you, anything process wise for you personally? Mine might be uh, a little bit unorthodox. I don't know if I would uh, def I don't know if I would market this as a as a quality for for writers to adopt. But 
once I saw the challenge, um, I sat in front of my computer and I knew that I wanted to write about mental health. I knew that I wanted to write about my personal struggles and about my own personal experience. Um, I knew that I wanted to maybe issue an apology, right, to um, publicly put out an admission of my guilt and to kind of uh, resettle my score with the universe in terms of my mental health, my behaviors and the path that I was on. And every time that I sat in front of my computer, the idea of mental health within the culinary world and the service industry was just completely overwhelming. I, I knew that there was a string, but I didn't know which end of it to catch and which direction to go in. For me, it was very helpful to settle down with one person. So the minute that I took the proverbial non-imaginary sous chef in mind, I was able to write the article on the notes app on my phone at 4 a.m. Um, like I was writing it to him. And that allowed for me to narrow down the very large ideas of this general apology to kind of everyone who hasn't been able to stand up for their, their mental health because of the way that our industry is working. And that's not to be negative. I believe that there are positive changes, but to make the very big subject, narrow it down and make it specific, I attached a face to it. And then I attached a level of intimacy to it. Like I was sending out a text and it allowed for me to narrow down the creative process. I absolutely think that this is something we should market. That's something that we should tell <laughs> writers to be able to do. We talk a lot in so many different arenas. You should make it personal. You should envision that single person, that relationship. They, if you're coming up with a dish, when did you cook it for somebody? Did you cook it for your partner? Was it cooked for you by your grandmother? Like, I think that's personal. We talk about customers when you're building your business. Think about that person, the exact person that you want to sit at your chef's counter to order your delivery food, to get your meal kit. Think about that one person. What's the emotional attachment, the relationship you're building with them. And if you're writing a story, I think it's absolutely the way. So yes, Jasmine, again, what I love here is all of you intuitively found your way to the story and that is compelling. And that is, I think that first step that so many people need to take. And then there's some process in place. And again, we're here to really support that and want to make sure that more and more stories get out there. I want to take this last uh, little bit. We're coming up on an hour and might spill over a couple minutes over, but uh, wanted to talk about some writing process things. Give everybody some takeaways, some tips that they can utilize. And so I'm going to start by telling everybody about keyword writing. It's something that I just put a name to because I didn't know what my writing process was either. I am an orator. I'm not a writer. I'm, I'm very good with spoken word or very short taglines and catchphrases. You ask me to string together four sentences, it's like I've, I've never written before. And so I had to figure out a way to, to be multifaceted in how I communicate. And I went into my chef brain. And keyword writing for me was the way that I build a recipe. So I want to tell you about that very quickly. And there'll be lots more that comes from keyword writing. And, and uh, we might have, you know, have Jesse host us again and just talk about keyword writing. But keyword writing is the way that I think about a recipe. The very first thing I do is I name the recipe. I name that document. And then I just pick four, six keywords. And those keywords to me are the building blocks of a recipe. And so I think about those four to six words and I just write those down. And that's like me saying, I want to do, I want to do salmon teriyaki. 
I'm not sure why salmon teriyaki always pops in my head as the thing I'm going to talk about with this. I don't know. It just is. I say I want to have salmon on this dish. I want to have some sesame broccoli. I want to have jasmine rice. And I want to have a, a kabayaki-style sauce a la, a la teriyaki. And that's all that I do to start. I, I compose that dish. And it's the same thing with the keyword. Then I go in with those keywords. I just write one sentence. They're all independent of each other. I can see how they might fit together because they're the core messages I want to get across. But I just write one sentence for each. They don't even have to go together. And that one sentence is me now starting to take the next layer of my recipe. I might be building a dish. I might be building a beverage, a dessert. I build the next layer. I write that one sentence. I decide I want six ounces of salmon, three ounces of broccoli, four ounces of jasmine rice, and an ounce and a half of my sauce. And I start to layer that composition together. And then I take those, those four, six sentences, and I try and sequence them. What story arc what character art, what narrative style do I want to express here now? And I'll weave them together. And then I'll fill in the blanks. How do I create context? How do I create time and place? How do I establish the scene? This is what I'll do then. And this is now the layers of now in my recipe, I'm going to decide on cooking technique. I'm going to decide on, on plating. I'm going to decide on sourcing. I'm going to fill in all the blanks to be able to bring this dish to life. That's what keyword writing is. So I wanted to share that because it's the way that my restaurant brain works. I think it's the way that a lot of people who work in hospitality, food, beverage, that their brains really work. They understand how to take that medium. And if you take the simplicity of name your recipe, get your four to six keywords, write that one sentence, string them together, and then be able to fill in the context that's my approach. Wanted to share that with everybody. Uh, Katie uh, O'Hara, wanted to jump back in with you to touch base a little bit on any technique things. I know you know you work heavily in copywriting. You're really focused on on process to be able to bring you know stories from other people to life because you're pulling from them the story, using your skills as a writer, bring them forefront. Anything else that can bring some value to anybody who's like, I want to write a story. I have no idea how to. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I do when I'm working with people, um, with copywriting specifically, and I hear this literally from everyone in all industries, um, they say they don't know, they don't know how to write. They don't know how to articulate what's inside their head. So I always just ask people to do like stream of conscious writing, like just text on your notes app, on your computer and a notebook, like just write like you were talking to somebody. And if you go back and look at that, you're going to have gems in there. You're going to have so much more than you believed that you did initially. And that's something that's always literally everyone I've ever worked with. When I do that process with them, they, you know, I, I take the words that they wrote down in the stream of copying and I turn it into something. I just, I form full sentences and I rearrange stuff and I give it back to them. And they're always like, Oh my God, you're such a good writer. And I'm like, no, these are your words. I just shifted them around. Um, so I think that is definitely something, um, you know, just, just sit down and write. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be anything other than how you would text or have a conversation. Um, you're going to be able to pull stuff out of that. Um, and when Katie, I pers- if I may, yeah. I'll even go further again, because my order brain, and, and again, so many people 
are in the restaurant, let's say we're just, we're used to being verbal. We're used to speaking to a guest. We're used to calling out orders in the kitchen. So use your voice memo app. Just speak your story, yeah. your, your, your free form, con, uh, you know, just subconscious, just speak into your phone for 10 minutes and see what comes out of the other end. Yes. A lot of, you're going to realize that you slur your words a lot and things like that, but you're going to find those nuggets. You're going to find those keywords. Potentially you're going to pull those out of this process. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Katie, anything else from you that you think is uh, valuable for anybody looking to write? Um, I think that we all just need to collectively believe in ourselves more. I mean, I struggle with that too. So very much. I'm like, nobody gives a shit what I have to say. I'm like, some middle mid thirties girl in Colorado in Denver, like I'm boring, <laughs> you know, but we all have such unique lives and experiences. And then on top of the uniqueness of the lives that we're living, we see things very uniquely. We communicate them uniquely. So I think we just need to get out of our own ways and just, you know, somebody give, gave us an opportunity. Let's carpe diem you know seize that opportunity just put put the words down um that's yeah i mean and that's me talking to myself as well <laughs> when i'm writing creatively and even professionally i'm like oh dear god what is this crap um and it's never crap nothing nobody's nobody's personal story um or experience is crap at all so we just we need to believe in ourselves that's that's my soapbox. That's where I'm standing and ending it. <laughs> Respect. Uh, I like that. No, that's tons of value for anybody. Sophie, what about for you? Uh, yeah, uh, Katie, you're not boring, and uh, I wanted to second. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to second. Uh, Jasmine's talking about the notes app. I think people think that you need to have a, like a a writing desk and a special pen and special paper, but really like. I text, I text myself like paragraphs and paragraphs because you feel a lot more free when you're like texting yourself. I had a friend who told me that what they do is they put a, their water bottle on a piece of paper and they circle it with a pen and then they, they can only fill up what's in that outline. There's all sorts of tricks you can do. You know, hotel like little sticky notes are always the best places to write things. You don't need a special place or a special notebook or any of these things. Most people just do it on scrap paper, in text messages, in emails, in all of these places. So, you know, if you're feeling like you can't write, just pretend you're not writing. That's what most of the writers do anyway. We just pretend that we're not writing and then it gets written. Yeah, actually, real quick, I will second that, Sophie. Um... When I'm writing creatively, I usually like mentally write it first and it's in my brain for a few days. And whenever the moment strikes that it's ready to leave my brain, like I might be on a run, like I might not be in front of a computer or a notebook and I have utilized my notes app for so much. So that's definitely, that's definitely huge. Um, and then again, to just second what you said, like not, not pigeonholing yourself into thinking like, this needs to be a big production. So that was great, Sophie. Sophie, OTL, we need to have best served branded sticky notes. And, yes. Uh, and anybody who wants to, like, like I, I imagine it being like a deck of cards type thing. And anybody who wants to write an 86 story will we'll mail them a packet of sticky notes to write their story. Uh, I'm, I'm all about that. 
that life. I that being that. said, save your work. Please save your work. <laughs> yes, pro tip. Always save your work. Don't trust the robots. Uh, I'd love to hear, you know, as you're listening to kind of some of these tips, anything else crystallized for you, Katie, Jasmine, Abby, Letitia, on writing process day, anything else that you realized uh, you could have used some more support on if you knew what you know now that could have helped you, anything else, I'd love to just take a moment and hear from uh, any of you that want to jump in. And again, those little nuggets, those little tidbits, it could be a completely uh, mundane, innocuous kind of little tidbit can uh, unlock something for somebody. So please jump in. Jasmine, yeah. Um, I One of the things that I focused on when I was uh, starting to think about what I wanted to write about is that um, as people who work with food, we have an obnoxious amount of descriptors for food. Um, we can look at one plate of food and describe it with 17 different adjectives. And that's, I think, a privilege that we don't often afford to our feelings. And so kind of on my own journey to emotional recovery, I started using these uh, emotional check-ins, right? Using descriptors for how I feel, not just mad, sad, glad, um, and kind of going in there. When I was sitting down and thinking about the article, instead of thinking so much about what I wanted the theme to be, I wanted to attach it to a feeling. So how do I wanna feel when I'm writing this? And how do I want people to feel as they're reading it? And as I was thinking about it, I stumbled on this, uh, might sound trite, but a Brene Brown quote, vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. And so that kind of unlocked a piece of the puzzle for me. Instead of um, focusing thematically on what I wanted to do, I was able to focus on a feeling, what I wanted a person to feel as they were reading it. And it unlocked key pieces of the writing process for me where it wasn't so much about telling the story, but it was more of an exposition of how I felt during the process, if that helps. Jasmine, yes, it helps. You went from being a, a non-writer to now, like it's time for you to, to team up with us to teach a course to hospitality people, to be able to write a story to one person and to be able to use all of the descriptors that we have for food, beverage, and hospitality to write their story. Yes, it makes all the sense <laughs> in the world. Jasmine, see, this is what I love about this. We're like unlocking the potential that has always been there and just wasn't the space or there wasn't the call to action to be able to bring it to life. And now, Jasmine, you're a professional writer and you're already teaching your first mini course to hospitality people on how to write their story. Absolutely love it. Katie, Abby, Letitia, anything else that kind of comes to mind for you? Katie, please. Yeah, I just wanted to say more of a statement. Um, since I was following the 86 Challenge, seeing a lot more marginalized voices having a platform, and I just want to thank you guys for creating that space for everyone to have a voice because especially the stories that were shared weren't just, this is my favorite recipe or I love this country because of this, but it went to a vulnerable place, which we often are afraid to go to in our work relationships. So I just wanted to thank everybody for being open and vulnerable and sharing stories that don't get heard. It's grateful that you recognize that. And, and I want to say I'm grateful that uh, I can hear the sound of you or somebody cooking dinner in the background because that just makes me happy too, that uh, we're, we're, all, we're all living that life, communicating with each other, connecting with each other. You never know when, where, how you're going to build relationship that that changes your trajectory or somebody else's. And I, 
I think it's super cool that we're all sharing this space right now. So thank you for that. Uh, yeah, Letitia, please jump in. Um, I just wanted to say thank you for reaching out and asking me to contribute. It's uh, sharing stories. Um, it can be really difficult. Um, and we, we, we folks as chefs and people in the restaurant industry, you just go, go, go and all the time, all of the time. And you never really stop to think about your needs and your well-being and, and where you've been. You might express that a little bit in what you're cooking or a lot in what you're cooking, uh, but to really sit down with your thoughts and think about your history and what got you to where you are. And um, it's so easy to remember all of the sad times or the bad times, but to rem really remember those things that um, were really special to you and really helped shape you in um, more impactful ways than just the trauma does. So thank you so much for um, asking me to contribute. It was awesome. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for trusting us enough to, uh, to write your first article. It means, it means so much, and it, it set the groundwork and a precedent for something completely different. Like this, is ne this has never been done before in media at large, let alone for the hospitality industry, to value the worth and the stories and the emotional and physical labor of people that work in kitchens and restaurants that are used to getting their heads kicked in all day and, and it matters. So I so really appreciate that. Uh, Abby, for you, any last little nugget you want to impart? Uh, we're going to be wrapping here in a moment. Uh, I think the biggest thing was how scared I was after I submitted the article, knowing how vulnerable it was like vulnerable it was and not realizing how many other stories are so similar and how many other people there are out there that you can relate to and you know after reading the articles just kind of stepping back and going oh like wow like there was really nothing to be that scared about like it's good to get your voice out there and that's something this challenge definitely taught me again it's that trust and and we had such compassionate people on the other side. I'm just here to be the hype man. I'm, I'm the coach, therapist, cheerleader. Like that's my role. But Sophie, again, Katie and, and Sarah, Zoe, Camille, Nicole, uh, even Andrew behind the scenes, making sure that everyone got paid L at in the weeds, their accountant, making sure that everyone got checks mailed to them more checks than they've ever sent out because they're sending out individual $86 checks. There was so much compassion in that system that we built because it was built with people who believe that story matter and were willing to put their own effort and their own joy and pain into the process. So it, it is absolutely something immensely beautiful and, uh, and I know that we're going to continue to build upon it. So thank you to everybody, everybody who wrote an article. So many people wrote articles and trusted us with their story. And again, grateful for that. And to Katie, Sophie, Abby, Jasmine, Letitia, Katie, uh, for being here today. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap now. So again, if you're you're here in the room, please go check out that bestsellerpodcast.com and read all of these writers and so many other writers' stories. If you're listening on the podcast, get over to bestsellerpodcast.com once again, and also join us on Clubhouse. Uh, this is a platform absolutely where literally you can drop in. And listen to conversations on the drive home. Uh, jump in on stage and tell your story when it comes to uh, uh, being able to, like Katie, they're, they're about to have dinner. So 
uh, really appreciate everybody for that. Uh, did want to maybe just, uh, uh, Jesse, actually, if you're available to talk here, I'm going to invite you to speak. Uh, I was so grateful that the Food Blog School hosted us. Uh, wanted to maybe, yeah, Jesse, if you want to just uh, for a moment, maybe if there was anything you wanted to do in part, uh, otherwise just talk about the kind of the mission of the Food Blog School because I think especially, again, people listening on the podcast need to get over, follow your club, and, uh, and join in on the conversations and get to writing. Amazing, amazing introduction, and thank you, Chef. And thank you, Chef, for bringing all of these skilled, talented, and really generous food creators. I mean, I've heard so many stories tonight that run the gamut, and they're inspiring, they're relatable, um, but above all, they really give this sense that we're all tied together. No one is in it alone. Even if at times we do feel isolated, we truly aren't. We've all had that experience of being or wanting to be more and to make those connections with others. So I really feel like this project is unique. It's timely and it's so needed. So I truly appreciate you coming to me and I'm humbled that you chose our club, the Food Blog School, which is all about supporting and educating uh, food content creators across platforms, across niches. We are a thriving and vibrant community of chefs, mixologists, food photographers, stylists, um, bloggers, food influencers, and we really embrace everything that you have truly shared tonight and i can't wait to hear more and i would encourage everybody if you're interested in anything that i've said or it resonates with you come on in we hold talks every tuesday and thursday at 10 a.m eastern standard time and we're really opening welcoming community and i would just love to host further conversations on this topic and more so thank you again chef for bringing me up and thinking of our club this is jesse and i'm done speaking Thank you, Jesse. Thank you to, to the whole community at the Food Blog School. Once again, Sophie, Katie, Jasmine, Abby, Letitia, Katie, Corey on the ones and twos, making sure everything gets recorded. And I'm sure he's going to be dropping some audiograms. So you can definitely check out Best Served Podcast Instagram, as I'm sure little uh, sound bites of uh, inspiration and teaching from our panelists tonight will make their way on Instagram so that more and more people can get in on the magic that happens in these rooms. All right, on that, we're going to end this room. And I like to end every room as I start it with a little quote. And I saw Laura was here uh, earlier, so I'm going to read a quote from her article again that uh, dropped today. So very timely. Individuals from varying backgrounds with their thread of commonality being food came together and held the space for everyone to be heard. What if we did that more in life? What if we listened not to provide an answer or solution, but rather just to let someone else be seen and their experiences validated? What a great way to start us off and end us on that. This is it for the 86-86-86 Challenge First Time Food Writers Tips and uh, stories. Thank you so much to all the panelists. Thanks you to everybody for tuning in. And uh, we'll go ahead and end the room. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.